You are listening to Waffle, the bite-sized podcast with Paul Jenkins. First broadcast on Rossendale Radio on the 8th of November 2020. This week, Paul talks to author, poet, singer and all-round creative wonderkind, Rosie Garland. They talk about her time as the lead singer with the March Violets, her work as a contemporary suffragette, her novels, her time as writer-in-residence with the Ryland Library, and she reads from her new collection, What Girls Do in the Dark. 104.7 Rossendale Radio Good afternoon, one and all. Welcome to 104.7 Rossendale Radio. It's Paul Jenkins here with the Weekend Wind Down, and it's time for our Waffle Hour. You've just been listening to Snake Dance by the March Violets, and it's not very often that I get to introduce my guest shortly after playing uh, one of the songs of theirs, uh, because the person that I'm going to be speaking to now um, is a singer. But not just that, they're a writer. No, but not just that, they're a poet. But not just that, they're a performer. But not just... Honestly, to try and encapsulate what Rosie Garland is in one very short introduction is going to be very, very difficult. I had the absolute... (laughs) amazing honour yesterday of having to uh, give she gave me half an hour of her time on the phone yesterday we talked about all sorts of things nothing like the amount of things that I wanted to talk about but time just wouldn't allow Um, this is my interview from yesterday with Rosie Garland Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Weekend Wind Down. It's Paul Jenkins here, and this is our Waffle Hour. Every single week, we speak to poets and novelists, artists, presenters, storytellers. Uh, and this week, uh, we've we've managed to get somebody who can pretty much do all of the above. Uh, it's not often that I get to begin this segment playing the music of the person I'm going to be speaking to, but Rosie Garland, good afternoon. Welcome. Well, hello there, Paul, and how lovely to be talking to you on a Saturday afternoon. Indeed. And thank you for that gorgeous um, introduction. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. I shall have to take you everywhere with me so you can make you sound fabulous. I, I'm happy to do uh, to, to do PR events anywhere you like. Um, but uh, wh- where are you calling us from this afternoon? Uh, Manchester. Ah, so there we go. So we're not too far off. We're, we're just yeah. outside the Rossendale Valley, but uh, um, uh, uh, happy neighbours uh, is, is yes, how we like to think of Manchester. Indeed. And uh, and we've, we, I mean, the reason we're talking this afternoon is I'm going to try and pack in as many different things as possible because uh, we could talk to you about your poetry or your novels or your music or or any of your performance work. Uh, it's it's hard to know where to start, really. Uh, how do you define yourself as a as a performer, or do you even try to? Uh, well, I um, don't really try. I, I, I'm less bothered about labels these mm. days. There's a surprise. But, um, <laughs> it's like because you've usually got to get things crammed onto a website. Um, I, I say writer. Mm-hmm. That, that seems to cover just about everything. And performer, because that uh, covers much of the rest. It's. Uh, I think that certainly covers a, a lot of what you do. I mean, the... Um some of the the work that we've got i mean i'm I'm just looking here at your your new book uh what girls do in the dark which is i think released in the in the coming week officially uh but we've managed it, to get it's ourselves being launched so um i can plug it mercilessly and give you the date of the launch and and how to sort of like get into the launch if you like later on that would be great yes um and uh, I've, I've got it in front of me and i've i've been able to sort of dip in and out in the way that you do with poetry books and you sort of you, you sort of cherry pick a little bit uh, when you first pick them up uh and uh 
uh, it's reading here rosie garland's dauntless enthralling new poetry collection what girls do in the dark invites us to leap into deep space across a universe where light names place and time become the distance between things that stand like sisters i mean when the blurb is that poetic uh, i think uh, i think you know you're going to get something quite special when you open up inside um that is uh, i mean this this idea of space and time is that is that what the, is the overall theme of the book um well yeah but it, there's a lot of themes it's like uh, i'm one of these people that thinks that everything's connected mm. and that's a really important part of the way i look at the world and so yes there are poems about stars and black holes and comets but it's also about um inner space as well you know the internal our internal universe our internal geography and you know about our feelings and emotions and experiences and very much bringing stars down to earth one of the pieces is about um somebody sitting next to a a star on the bus (laughs) you can't really get much more down to earth than that uh, yeah, so it's it's a mixture, but it looks at outer space as well as inner space. I think that's is. Uh, I mean, that 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 kind of uh, it's about you know, I suppose our place in the world or our place in the universe. And I think it's uh, we've all been re- very recently had that time to be self-reflective, haven't we? Um, that I'm yeah. assuming <laughs> I'm assuming a lot of this was actually written way before any of any of all this happened. Um, well, some of the some of the pieces are newer, some are older, and I guess. Um, a number of people have said to me how um, prescient they are. Like, mm. goodness, you could have written these last week. <laughs> um, I mean, like the rest of the world, um, I have not been living under a rock for the past four years. Of and there are, there are some kind of... They're, they're, we are at the sharp edge of some things at the moment, you know. Then again, we've been in sharp places before. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I... I, I do feel everything's connected, so I feel that we're connected in time as well as space, which is why a, a number of the poems do look back to past times as well. It's, uh, I think that becomes a theme of your work generally as well. I, I think we'll talk a, a little bit later on uh, about some of your performance work and particularly about the suffragettes uh, and, and how you've sort of embodied those in some of your performance work. Um, Thank you. But uh, it's uh, what I'd love, if, if it's possible, uh, would you be able to share a piece from us from, from the new book? Well, I'd be delighted. Here's one I prepared earlier. Excellent. Thank you, Blue Peter Stiley. <laughs> um, I will, uh, because it seems like quite a sensible thing to do, mm-hmm. um, I'll start with the very first poem in the new collection, What Girls Do in the Dark. Excellent. Um, and it's called Letter of Rejection from a Black Hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is about like uh, how we've all had rejections, and certainly as a writer, People think that now I'm a published writer, I don't get rejections anymore. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) all the time. And, you know, for anyone who is a writer, they will understand this. And anyone who's a human being will probably understand it as well. The idea of, you know, getting up and going out of the house in the morning can involve rejection. So, letter of rejection from a black hole. We're touched by your desire to join our great work of dismembering the fabric of time and matter. We can't blame you for wanting to hide in nothing and note the ways you've snapped off pieces of yourself to prove you're serious. However, we wonder if you've misunderstood our purpose 
the difference between obliteration of the cosmos and the spirit. You've been smothering your radiance for so long. It's become a system of belief that you're cored with lead, incapable of anything but borrowed light, or in a destructive twist of logic that impressed the selection panel, brilliance is only permitted to serve others' needs. You have the right to glow. It's not your duty to light up anyone else's day. We urge you to reconsider, wish you well, and suggest steering clear of holes. It's always nice uh, when you get a nice piece of uh, advice at the end of a, of a poem. Uh, suggest you steering clear of holes. That's, a, that's, that's something we can all take forward, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, it's one of my one of the themes of the book is mm. it's like yes, we we may feel like we're surrounded by darkness, whether that's personal darkness, mm. emotional darkness, political darkness. She said, getting a little bit you know up to date and up to the minute. <laughs> um, but uh, it's like my attitude is like there is light in darkness, mm. even if we have to make it ourselves. And I think that's an important thing, you know, rather than waiting for somebody else to make the light, make it ourselves, make our own, you know, hope, our own light. And there's some such empowering lines in there. You know, that line, you have Thank the right, the, the, you have the right to glow. I think that's just something that, you know, that's that's easily something you can carry around with yourself as, as a mantra. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful piece. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, we're going to, uh, unfortunately, we have to, uh, we have to play music and things on this station and, and news and all sorts Sounds of other good. things. So um, I, I'm going to uh, steer you in the, the direction of your first musical choice, if that's all right. Uh, and now uh, you've chosen uh, the chicks for us with Long Way Round. Um, any particular reason why that spoke out? spoke to you uh well <laughs> they used to be called the dixie chicks indeed and um they got into a you know these three women got into a world of pain mm. um a number of years ago because they dared suggest um that donald trump might not be a wonderful president for the united states and this is years ago yes and um this is before everybody received death threats you know it's like <laughs> everyone receives death threats now it feels like but this was at the beginning they received death threats their families were threatened all because they dared to say uh we have an opinion and it may not be the same as everybody else's and so they, they, you know, they came out with um, an amazing album called Long Way Round, mm. and this is the title track. And it's such a hopeful and empowering song. It's about the fact that, you know, it may take a long time to get where you're going, but stick with it, persevere. And I think it's particularly important for me. I grew up as the weird kid in school. You know, I felt like I was the only one in very many ways, <laughs> not just sexuality, but, you know, I was the weird kid that liked reading. Oh, my I mean, goodness gracious me. me. Good How Lord, did you even get through I possibly it? have that? <laughs> and, um, and this song is just like a real... It's such, it's, it's so ass-kicking, it's so fierce, and says, just stick with it, stick to going the long way round if that is your way. Here's the chicks. At home, in the office, in the car, wherever you are, you can listen to 104.7 Rossendale Radio. 
Welcome back to the Weekend Wind Down. It's Paul Jenkins here. I'm joined by Rosie Garland. Uh, and in the first part of our interview, uh, we had uh, a piece from What Girls Do in the Dark, her new book, which is uh, out just this week. Um, Rosie, I think you're going to share another piece uh, from it just as we as we come into the second part here. I am indeed. Um, this is another poem that picks up the idea of finding light in darkness, but also finding light in unexpected places. <laughs> Um, it's it's um, inspired by the fact that uh, one time I was crossing the North York Moors going to Whitby. Yay, Whitby. Day and, the beach. Um, yeah, and stopped in the middle of the moors because there was this weird light in the sky. It was kind of rusty and orange, but it looked all strange. And it definitely wasn't the lights of, you know, distant York or anything like that. And so I did a bit of um, digging around and found out it was... The northern lights it was the aurora borealis in, in, York, and I just, in yorkshire i know <laughs> apparently you can see it as far south as yorkshire and cumbria which is completely unexpected but they were weird lights and um they didn't have all that kind of flamboyant flouncy jiggery pokery of the green <laughs> and the yellow this was this was different and so and it inspired this next poem which is called yorkshire lights excellent you think it's a trick of the clouds, but this is no will-o'-the-wisp that shimmers into nothing. No sleight of hand sleek flicker that plucks a penny from your ear while it picks your pocket. These are slow lights, sure lights, built for the long haul. Banked fires of bronze peat to outlast winter. Rusty with the mucked-up brass of shuttered shops, stoppered coal mines, empty wallets. A flag steeped in bloody-mindedness, the opposite of surrender. Steady as the rain that grinds the Pennines, true as the Leeds and Liverpool Canal with its deep cut through moors, marked out with sheep, daubed red. It takes less time than you think to adjust glare-adapted eyes, relearn the lessons of iron light, reclaim night vision. Reclaim night vision. This is... Uh, I, I, I love the idea that, that, that this has come out of Yorkshire. This is, uh, you know, we, we, we very rarely speak about over the border um, here on Russell Radio. I thought I'd be a bit, con- I'd be a bit controversial. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you've reignited the War of the Roses, but don't worry about it. I think we'll, we'll cope all right. Um, it's um, it's just the idea that, that this, uh, that there's almost like, it, like you say, this is not the green and blue version of things, but this is the, the Yorkshire version of the, of the, it's very a Yorkshire thing to do that they've got to have their own version of the Northern Lights. Yes. It's it's wonderful. There's and there's uh, there's some of those lines in there. Um, aside from the fact that you managed to get a, a, a mention of Will of the Wisp, which immediately took me back to my childhood. Uh, but uh, but the, you know, this slow lights and sure lights built for the long haul. This is uh, they've got the you've given this natural being its own character, which is which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. Uh, just uh, uh, in terms of uh, the, the the way that you sort of read that poem to us. Um, you, you seem to be very purposeful in the in the way that you you sort of approach the language, and that that clearly comes across as something 
you've uh, obviously had lots of experience of of performing poetry live as well um yeah is it that is that is that the performer in you coming out because i know lots of poets who are very much page poets and they, they don't like to necessarily recite or perform their, their work they'll, they'll say it's there on the page and that's that's where i intended it to be is, is that yeah an... and i completely respect that that way of thinking you know i wouldn't want people to perform if they didn't want to <laughs> Is it, but do you do you write from that point of view? Do you think about the the possibility that I may may be standing in front of somebody performing this at some point or other? Does that come um, through in your work? Do you think? Well, my attitude is I I think that poetry I don't see why poetry shouldn't work on the page and mm. being listened to and and live. Um, I I don't see why. Again, <laughs> here we go again. I think everything's connected. <laughs> um, it, I I think. I love language because of its musicality and its mm. power and its 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 visceral nature. Um, and when I read my when I'm editing my poetry, because believe me, I think writing is better when it's edited. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that every word I come out with is perfect. First go, who would have thought it? <laughs> and one of the ways I edit when I'm either when I'm editing fiction or poetry is I will read it out loud even yeah. if it's a novel and i listen for the rhythms i i you know and sometimes i can just tell by ear whether a sentence just isn't working not that i think that you know whoever gets the novel which would be very nice if they did <laughs> not that i think that they're going to sit there in the sitting room reading it out loud to themselves but for me it's important to know that language works not just on the page but in the ear and maybe that's because um so much of my performance experience is live, but also because, um, you know, I, I, I come from interest in the history of poetry mm. and literature, and literature was an oral tradition to start with. It is. Uh, I mean, and I, uh, the one of the things which which we weren't planning on talking about the, uh, before, but uh, I, I took a trip to the Bronte Parsonage Museum, and uh, and your name popped up there as well. I think that you sort of you, you you have that interest, don't you, in the in the way that the you know the the literary tradition has developed over the years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and um, I love the sound of words. It's musical. It is. And now we're obviously touching on performance now and, and about where, where you've uh, taken your performances. One of the, the big things that you uh, started a couple of years back now is the time travelling suffragettes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, that, that came out of my love of music hall, um, you know, Victorian and late 19th mm. century and early 20th century music hall, which was where people went to get their entertainment in yes. the days before um, television, and etc. And... Um, one of the things I love about Music Hall was its power to subvert mm. um, and the fact that it was very much a working class movement. Um, it was the voice of the people and um, the people, given half a chance, are quite subversive and they know <laughs> how to cock a snook at people who regard themselves as far more important than they are. And I thought, what would it be like if a suffragette, and I created this character, a mm. performance character for the Vote 100 centenary in 2018. So I did create her specifically for that to mm. help celebrate the um, centenary of a lot of, well, some women getting the vote in the UK. Yeah. Um, and I thought, what would it be like if a suffragette from 100 years ago was brought to the 21st century? 
um, what what would she think? What, what, what and it's and it was a humorous act. You know, mm. the idea is that the suffragette will say to the audience, "Well, back in my day, we <laughs> had misogyny. We had um, people thinking that women weren't intelligent and not worth, you know, and, and should stay in the home and only be happy um, cooking for their husbands." And you know, and, and thank of course, goodness now things in have the changed. Twenty first century, you don't <laughs> think like that at all, do you? You've moved on so far. So you know the. the idea is that the time traveling suffragette is a is ironic and humorous but um you know obviously because of my you know the fact that i'm a queer writer i always thought what i also thought what would it be like if i if i took some of these famous musical songs and uh, made them gay basically <laughs> so instead of having i'm shy mary ellen i'm shy it was i'm by mary ellen i'm nice. by <laughs> and um you know hold your hand out you naughty boy has got a completely different meaning well i'm sure um, <laughs> the, the, the joys of innuendo <laughs> <laughs> which which musical was, exactly. was of course totally Musicals filled with full of innuendo, um, yeah. and it's that you know that's in the roots of stand up comedy and then uh, uh, where yeah. that, that that came from and uh, and we could we could get we could end up down a rabbit hole talking about musical together. But we shan't. <laughs> we we shan't unfortunately due to due to time pressures. But um, uh, yeah, well just so just let let's let's carry on with the music as we as we were uh, now yeah. now not music hall but certainly fine music. You've chosen the Cocteau Twins. <laughs> Um, what, 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 what this particular track? Uh, well, um, one of the reasons is um, I just loved the Cocteau Twins. They did some; they were a real inspiration in the eighties when um, I was in a band myself. There's Indeed. another plug, <laughs> and uh, just the way that her lyrics really gave me permission to start exploring how to write lyrics and how to write stories and poems that didn't necessarily work in very in the office, fashion. in the car, um, wherever you are. Um, yes, um, I've got no idea what my lyrics mean. I don't care. They were very much um, stream of consciousness and she was interested in the sound of the lyrics mm. as much as the meaning of the lyrics. And I found that kind of rather surreal and um, surrealistic um, and also almost hallucinogenic approach to writing really permissive and freeing. Brilliant. Let's have a listen. This is Pearly. The Frequency. 104.7. The Area. Rossendale Valley. The Station. Rossendale Radio. Welcome back to the Weekend Wind Down. It's the Waffle segment and it's the final part of my interview this afternoon with Rosie Garland. Uh, and uh, I've mentioned about the fact that we can dip in and out of all of the various different things uh, that you do. Uh, we, and we spoke about very, very, very briefly uh, the fact that you, you also were, it, were in a very successful band. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, we It was an 80s um, post-punk band, goth band. You can yeah. call us what you like. I Again, I'm not that bothered about labels. <laughs> called the march violets and um we reformed in 2007 mm. and um it's fascinating that although we were only together for um five years in the 80s we've been together for 10 years in <laughs> the um 2000s so uh, twice as much fun 
it's it must be a, a, an amazing thing to be able to uh, sort of dip into that to be able to i, I mean I, I was in a band briefly at college and i think it was some it was two of the best years of my life just you know going gigging lugging equipment rounds doing various you know seeing various places and and you know performing in all sorts of different places it's yeah it's something it's very freeing about wonderful. it isn't there it's like um and the, the vibe and the buzz of getting onto on a stage and singing in front of a, cl- a crowd that who are bouncing around and going crazy, you can't beat it. Do you think you'll ever go back? Do, will there be a reforming again? Uh, well, I never say never. Excellent. There you go. We'll, st- we'll start it here. We'll start a campaign here on Rossendale Radio. Mm-hmm. We'll start. We'll be playing more March Violet stuff from here on in. You guarantee it. <laughs> I'll get them on the playlist. Um, now, again, and, and I feel like we're whizzing through 100 miles an hour through your career here. Um, but, of course, there's the literary link goes deeper than your poetry work that um, that we've been sharing earlier this afternoon. Um, of course, you are a novelist. Uh, I've got two of your uh, other novels here. You've got The Night Brother um, and we've got uh, The Palace of Curiosities uh, here as well. And that's uh, your your whole literary work. Uh, kind of brought you onto a very unique position at the University of Manchester last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was writer-in-residence, well, the first writer-in-residence indeed, at the wonderful, wonderful John Ryland's Library, which is on Deansgate in mm. Manchester. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's quite a special building. Uh, the uh... Oh, it looks like somebody's dropped medieval castle from outer <laughs> space, right in the middle of Deansgate, surrounded by all this concrete and glass and Victorian victorian architecture it, it looks like a castle it really does it does and and i think it's one of those places as well it's it's an institute i mean manchester is filled with institutions for great literature i mean the, the manchester library itself and on st peter square there yeah um you know i think there's there's something about manchester that they've created edifices to hold books um that that are unlike any others um well and, yeah and also the enthusiasm for learning for education and for that to be open to all mm. i think is the interesting thing because from the day the rylands opened on first of january 1900 interesting go. little factoid there <laughs> it was that. open to everybody it wasn't just open to people who could pay to come in i think as well and it's because it's, it's now part of the university of manchester i believe it is yeah. yeah but but at the same time it's it's got that kind of openness to it i mean what what sort of things did you do as writer in residence what, what's, what's the job description well, I went to them and I said, look, I've got an idea for a new novel. So they went, ooh, that's <laughs> interesting. And I said, and the new novel is going to be set in the John Rylands. So they went, ooh, that's very oh. interesting. <laughs> and so the idea was it's, it's a historical novel because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And it's set in 1900 when it opens yeah. and 1985. Um, so it's told from the point of view of two different people. And it's, um, you could say, it's a novel about ghosts. It's uh, about haunting. Um, But it's not necessarily straightforward ghosts. It's a novel about what haunts us as people. And And so I, I suggested this. I said, this is what I want to do. And I said, what I'd like to do is write it in the John Ryland so that I get a real sense of you know being in a place and so i can bring the islands library almost Mm. as a character into my writing and they were very excited about that and said yes we would like you to be our very first writer in residence it was such an honor and a privilege it really was 
I think that must be uh, for any writer to have the uh, to have a library literally as, as both your office and your inspiration at the same time. That must have been quite a good experience. To it be was honest. astonishing. And all I can say is librarians are my favourite people in the entire world. <laughs> and that opinion has not been changed by the lovely supportive enthusiastic people at the Rylands. seriously if you've never been there as soon as we're allowed to go and visit places go there they are just great people they love the Rylands, and that just shows in the Rylands itself it feels like a loved building and I, and I think just as a, a an equal shout out to librarians everywhere as you say nothing's they haven't slowed down and stopped the, 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 the way that they've uh, come up with click and collect services for people or, or things like that to, to keep to keep the wheels turning all the way through yeah. I think has been absolutely yeah. astonishing absolutely. I'm, I mean I'm I owe a lot to libraries um if I can just say very quickly, when I was a kid, mm. uh, my family were very enthusiastic about reading, but we, we weren't the sort of family that had spare money to buy books. Mm. And every Saturday, my mum took me and my sister to the local library. We got four new books out, and all we had to do was read them and love them. Mm -hmm. That's all it asked of us. Yep. And then the Saturday after, we took them back and got four new books. It was like magic. It, it is. There was, I, I, like you say, some of those special experiences as a child are those those days going exploring in, in the library. And the, the the joy of a library is that that when you get back the next time, other books have arrived that weren't there before, and you you yeah, you feel yeah. like it's like treasure hunting. I think it, trying to yeah, find a new uh, book yeah. that you haven't read. Yeah. Um, we we well, I think we're both Matildas when we were younger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. I mean, what's the what does the future hold? Uh, we've obviously we've got the new book and the, the launch of that. Yeah, well, Did you want to plug I'm, I'm the, the launch of the new book? What girls do in the dark? That's out with the marvelous press, Nine Arches Press. Mm -hmm. They are so good. Um, I yeah, and in fact, check out their list. Um, and fingers crossed, I'm still working. I've just sent off, as of this week, I've sent off um, an edited draft of this new novel that I started at the John Rylands. Excellent. I've sent that off to my agent, so dot, 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 watch <laughs> this space. Excellent. So it does look like there's there's an awful lot happening. So 2021, when we're all going to be absolutely fine and the world will be fixed, um, yes. I, I, it looks like uh, I'll be hopefully heading, I'll, I'll be heading to a virtual book launch uh, next week on the 12th. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, this, I think it's for Eventbrite that, that you can get a, a ticket to the virtual launch. Is that right? Yeah, if you go on Eventbrite and Google and search for What Girls Do in the Dark or Rosie Garland, it will pop up. It's Thursday, the 12th of November at 7.30 GMT, and it's free. Free is good. I like free. Although you do have to provide your own glass of warm wine. Ah well, if it's warm wine, I can I can definitely manage that. That's uh, <laughs> uh, just uh, just on the on while you were talking about nine arches, I just want to say as well, this this is one of the most beautifully produced books I've held in a long time. Um, oh, it's, it is. Uh, there's there's something about the feel of a good of, of a good book, and you kind of pick it up. But also, the, I mean, the, the the cover art is is absolutely divine, and the and, and just the way it's, it's put together is. Uh, it's, I'm really basically I've been. They, I've been doing they my, really care. They put a lot of care, and not just into the words but in the way the words are presented and it, they're a dream publisher absolute dream publisher and seriously check them out they um nine arches also have a magazine which is open to submissions right now um go and check them out they're well worth they're well worth exploring i certainly shall do so um just to finish off uh you've you've gone for something nice light melodic music to uh, to finish off our show this of afternoon course. um and uh, 
Ace of Spades. <laughs> Ace of Spades by Motorhead. And again, I it's like I am inspired by a great deal of things. And it's like, who could not be inspired by the marvellous, um, you know, Mr. Kilminster himself? <laughs> It's a it's a, a a great way to finish off. I don't think we could have chosen anything better. Um, Rosie Garland, uh, please obviously do stay in touch with us. Uh, let us know uh, when the when the new novel is is finished and out there. We'll uh, do everything we can to to promote what girls do in the dark here at Rossendale Radio, and uh, we hope to speak to you again soon. It's been a pleasure. Here's Motorhead. One hundred four point seven Rossendale Radio. And so we come to the end of another Waffle the Bite Size podcast. What a great guest Rosie Garland was, uh, talking to her about her novels, about her poetry, about her time as writer-in-residence at the John Rylands Library, and of course, fronting a band. Uh, and we're playing a lot more of the March Violets on Rossendale Radio uh, because of this interview. It was so nice to talk to her, and I really hope uh, that the launch of the new book went well, and uh, and that we'll be hearing much more from Rosie in the future. Uh, my thanks, as ever, to the team at 104.7 Rossendale Radio for allowing us to broadcast each week uh, our waffle segment and for producing the podcast well done to melanie kemp as ever for her editing work on the podcast we'll be back with you next week with another great guest and in the meantime stay safe everybody and we'll see you very soon